So let's talk about breaking patterns. Does it ring any bell? Yep. For me, it reminds me of diets. Yeah. Diets in cancer, more specifically. I know like it sounded like we deviated a little bit. But um, it is true what you said that can we break uh, this pattern? Um, so the short answer to this is yes, we can. And I've actually been following um, the research of uh, Dr. William Lee. He's a member of the Angiogenesis Foundation. And I, <coughs> excuse me, I think I stumbled upon him actually on another podcast. And he had a lot of interesting things to say on how we can use diet to prevent and in some cases actually cure cancer. Wait, he has a, he has a podcast? Not of his own, but he's been a guest oh, to okay. like pretty much all of them i see he's a angiogenesis celebrity mm-hmm. by now and he has also written a very good book uh, which is called uh, eating to beat cancer interesting i believe and it mentions basically what you can do what you can eat to beat uh, different types of cancer how you can prevent and uh, what really struck my attention is the way he puts it so you can take medicine you can do chemo that's uh, just a dose of medicine or doses of medicine over a certain period of time but why do we forget that we can actually take our quote-unquote medicine three times a day every day because we eat at least two or three meals every day and that could actually serve as our medication which is a great idea if you think about it and uh, this is not something completely new in the field of research but I must admit that doctors don't usually pay that much of attention when you're receiving a new cancer patient you should really include this as part of your uh, treatment plan Mm -hmm. you can only tell them you know take this drug or take this drug and do these tests like there should really be uh, some nutritional aspect to all of this because it's been proven to help so basically uh, when you're looking at the history of patients you should also include the diets that the patients have been on definitely and if you know that a patient has for example a history of breast cancer what do you do they don't have cancer yet but you know chances are much higher for them to have some form of breast cancer in the future so what uh, he does is he has looked at uh, different uh, types of cancer and he actually wrote an amazing review in the journal of oncology called the dietary cancer prevention and how different groups of uh, foods and their ingredients can help with specific forms of cancer some of the research mentioned is his Some of it is from different researchers, all under that angiogenesis uh, foundation. And uh, speaking of um, breast uh, cancer, and all cancers actually, well, we do know, we have heard over the years, you know, you even see those Facebook articles pop up and be like, green tea can beat cancer. (laughs) So sometimes they have some truth in them, even though they're not corroborated by actual science, which annoys me to no end be honest but it is true that a uh, tea is actually the second most often consumed uh, liquid mm-hmm. in the world after water 
Or after coffee? <laughs> yeah, the coffee is third, surprisingly. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and then there's sodas <laughs> or something really bad. And uh, it's been shown that a green tea extracts, they contain uh, what's called as polyphenolic catechins. Like, you don't need to pay attention to the names, just the foods, but I do have to mention it. Don't so, know what that is. Yeah, and uh, all of the teas actually contain that because we have different forms. We have green tea, we have uh, black tea, we have uh, my personal favorite matcha tea, <laughs> which I am addicted to. And uh, there's been a lot, a lot of research on tea, especially. And from the findings, at least their report in their review, it shows that there are a lot of benefits in prostate, bladder, esophageal, lung, head cancer, neck cancer, which sounds... I don't even know what neck cancer is. Yeah, I've come across neck cancer. What is neck cancer? It's the cancer of the neck. <laughs> like the, <laughs> it, it sounds so rare. Like, how do you... Anyway. But green tea extract can help with that. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I'm digressing a little bit, but it's still within the scope. So you basically get all forms of cancer, but the only organ that does not get cancer or... I think it's very rare for that organ to get cancer is, I think, heart. That is true. Yeah. Heart cancer. And my um, young cousin is the first person who told me about it, and it was very recently. <laughs> yeah, you ne- you actually never hear about that, but I never put two and two together and be like, huh. Well, neck cancer is a thing, heart cancer, not so much, I guess. And uh, going back to green tea, uh, there's actually like uh, FDA-approved ointments that you can use on warts and precancerous uh, lesions that have uh, shown to help with cancer. And of course, uh, endless and endless mice studies that show beneficial results of uh, green tea in uh, cancer treatment. So prevention is a little bit different because how can you monitor prevention? But there's actually been uh, more global and more statistical-based, um, I guess, publications. So one of them concerns the soy. Mm-hmm. And Tell the soy me about beans. it. Yes, I, I know you're a fan of soy and soy milk. And Natasha is also vegan, so basically all she eats is soy. <laughs> Uh, but um, genistein, which is a compound of the soybean, has uh, been proven to help with uh, treatment and lower the incidence rate of breast cancer. And the way they looked at it was that uh, consumption of soybean is much, much higher in uh, China or Japan. And they have noticed that there are a lot less women getting breast cancer in um, basically in all of Asian countries. Like Europe and uh, the U.S., especially the U.S., has a very high breast cancer incidence rate. So they are attributing some of that to the consumption of soybean. It could also be, of course, a combination of the green tea, green tea consumption along with uh, soybeans. But what is very interesting to me is that they took a portion of women who grew up in uh, Japan specifically 
and then they migrated to the U.S. and they looked at the second and third generation, and how um, how much uh, risk of breast cancer there is in those later generations, and it seems like there's a persistent effect of whatever nutrition does to you, even in the next generations. So it literally has, I guess, been ingrained into your uh, DNA, basically as a pigenetics, I mm-hmm. would say. So it even uh, follows that uh, protective effect into later generations. And it would take like four or five generations of women originating from Asia for their daughters to have the same risk for a breast cancer as uh, native U.S. people. So it's not just your DNA, but there are other factors that influence... Definitely not, because I cannot believe, like, our DNA is not that different. You can't tell me that a woman from Japan is just genetically programmed to have a lower breast cancer risk. That, like, that makes no sense. There's something that they're consistently doing and that is embedded in their culture that makes a substantial difference. And another thing that was interesting to me, because everyone loves loves pasta sauce, (laughs) is lycopene. And lycopene is an ingredient in... um, Not ingredient, sorry. It's a substance that's found uh, predominantly in tomatoes, like all kinds of tomatoes uh, and papayas. Hmm. And I mean, papayas are kind of harder to come by, but everyone can make their homemade tomato sauce and they looked at uh, especially men with prostate cancer Mm -hmm. and it was uh, shown that when they were taking even a moderate amount of uh, homemade tomato sauce and they were incorporating that in their diet they had a decrease in their VEGF which is a vascular endothelial growth factor levels and their PSA levels were uh, very decreased uh, with respect to the control group. So nothing else was changed. All that they did was they introduced moderate amounts, like two servings or four servings a week, I don't remember, (coughs) of uh, pasta sauce. Yeah, for those of you who are wondering what RegF that she just mentioned is, so um, a higher expression of this marker, RegF, is associated with many cancers. That's astonishing. Yeah, so tomatoes can help you reduce the wedge of levels. Yes. So include yes more tomatoes can. in your diet. But then again, that's a trap because do you include more tomatoes in general? Like I would not, you know, lean towards the canned oh, tomatoes. Because yes. mm-hmm. I think these have been processed to death. So at some point they lose some of their nutrients. <clears throat> And a lot of their um, components are too broken down to actually help you. So I would, at least I think I am going to start making my own homemade pasta sauce. (laughs) And you don't even need like good, good looking tomatoes to do that. You can just use up whatever tomatoes you have, make some pasta sauce, eat it, incorporate it everywhere. Helps with cancer. Not prostate in my case, but you know. (laughs) And the personal favorite of everyone everyone knows this it's everywhere red wine helps 
protect and sometimes uh, treat cancer in moderation of course mm-hmm. everything is it works best when in done in moderation yes like we we in no way um encourage you to go get shit faced and then eat absurd amounts of pasta with red sauce but like a few servings of red wine help and that is because of resveratrol which is again a polyphenol and it's found in a lot of species but i guess uh because wine is also enjoyed as a beverage it's more um popular but mulberries peanuts and of course grapes have a high content of resveratrol and um there was a study of 84000 men and it showed that there is clearly an inverse relationship between red wine consumption and their uh, incidence of lung cancer so <clears throat> those who basically uh had a one serving of red wine and the suggested amount is uh, i think a cup a day not more and i'm talking about the measuring cup not the huge mug that you drink your coffee from and uh they decreased uh, their uh, risk for lung cancer by 61% and uh, going back to um the number they looked at 84000 men you said yeah, so yeah. that's actually a decent sample size even so. it's not like 20 it's they, <laughs> they really did that study cuz i guess it's very easy to find volunteers to drink wine for <laughs> <laughs> for a month it's not like yep that's how you enroll people in a study and um another very interesting uh one uh was um which one should i mention i'm going to mention onions mm. cuz no one really talks about poor onions you know we take them so for granted in our diet yeah i i do not actually i include onions in almost all everything i prepare same and it's uh, that's a thing that a uh, indian cuisine as yes. well as a mediterranean it cuisine it has to do with that yeah the first things we add to freaking everything is onion and garlic yep. like there's nothing you can make without onion and garlic and they actually found by looking at the uh, different populations from italy from switzerland and uh, from countries that don't really consume as many onions in uh, europe and they found that uh, people who consume moderate amounts of onions which in our case it's more than moderate i guess have a 73% risk reduction for ovarian cancer mm. so women following the mediterranean diet were less likely to develop ovarian cancer and i know that i'm uh, mentioning uh, different food groups and probably the question in everyone's mind is okay onions help you garlic helps you wine helps you how much is enough right because when you take a medicine you have a suggested dose of like take two pills take this dose with food it's slightly different but in my opinion the best way to go about this is make more informed and good choices every day. Uh-huh. So you are hungry and you want to eat something for breakfast. Don't go towards that overprocessed uh I don't know egg burrito 
or uh, the Mac breakfast. Occasionally is fine. But yeah, yeah, of course. But this is an opportunity for everyone to yes. treat themselves from whatever underlying risks they might have and to help uh, alleviate those risks by just eating. Like it's something we would do anyway. And uh, other foods that he has mentioned, uh, I'm not going to go into specifics because this is going to take forever. So nuts Mm -hmm. are super beneficial. Omega-3 fatty acid uh, containing uh, foods, uh, fish, salmon, and basically if we're going to go to the broader spectrum of diets, at least in his opinion, uh, the best diet to probably follow would be um, very high in vegetables and plants pescatarian mm-hmm. diet so he does include that aspect of fish as your protein and as your source of omega-3 fatty acids but they were not really hot on meat which yeah. is disappointing <laughs> for me at least it was for me too at some point and <laughs> right now um it's been almost a year since i turned a vegan huh it's been huh yes it's how been. do you feel uh, I don't know, honestly, because I haven't been looking that carefully, but probably someone else can notice better than I do about myself. But I can say for sure that um, I don't see that I'm missing out. I don't feel that I'm missing out on anything. Like, I never feel that I'm low on energy or strength, for that matter, because okay. people say that for strength, you need to have animal proteins and i've never felt that and i've never felt that my work is getting affected because i'm on a certain plant-based diet i think that has to do also with uh, your cuisine though yeah because you are eating things that do contain plant-based protein i basically i think consume everything that you mentioned previously <laughs> yeah so. exactly like you're not Ex- low except on your for protein fish yeah Again, like fish is uh, one source, but you can, of course, substitute that with uh, cashews and peanuts and almonds. There's a lot of things you can substitute for, but I'm glad that you have the energy. I've never gone vegan or vegetarian, for that matter. I do want to try to limit my processed meat intake. Uh, Yes. um However... I I do can see that uh, the switch is not easy. The struggle Mm. is real. So what I did was I turned vegetarian for a year. And then switching from a vegetarian diet to a vegan diet wasn't that much. And you also right now live in a country where we have so many options. Yeah, fortunately for me. Vegan and vegetarian and plant-based, uh, plant-based everything. It has to do with the point. time also. I think five years from now, we d- like vegans don't have so many options. Yeah, because it wasn't so popular. Like right, not right now, but for the past five years, we've seen what we've seen a surge in veganism. There's a raw veganism, which is a more hardcore version of what you're doing. Keto, paleo, carnivore, yeah. which is the opposite spectrum the opposite spectrum sorry and it's really interesting because i've also heard uh podcasts of people who have went full carnivore and that uh 
to you who don't really... How did it turn out for them? I'm just curious. Yeah, for those who are not familiar, when you're a carnivore, you basically only eat meat and eggs. Nothing else. No plants. No grains. No nothing. Meat, eggs, meat, eggs, meat, eggs. And they are reporting like a huge increase in in their energy levels. They are losing weight like Mm. crazy. And uh, one of them, uh, I don't remember his name, but he's like a very huge carnivore diet proponent. Uh, He showed that his um, blood tests were actually better than when he was following like a regular diet that includes carbohydrates and everything. And it's basically you don't know who to believe. You know, people are going to... I mean, I've heard like literally the opposite effect of um, having animal proteins on blood tests. But yeah, I mean, there are studies, but you also have to look at the sample size to look also uh, to assess the um, the long term effects. Also, because short term it might be fine, but long term yeah. pe- people have shown that diets can have uh, immediate effects, as immediate as like one hour after consumption. 